Learn Persian with Trying Conversation Poetry. Monir Taha's Migan Ke Jange Jange with Naz Deravion. Salam behamegi and welcome to the introductory lesson on Munir Taha's poem, Migan Ke Jange Jange, recorded with her daughter, author of the very popular Iranian cookbook, Bottom of the Pot, Naz Derabiyan. I am Leila Shams, host of Learn Persian with Chai and Conversation. So in this first episode, Naz and I talk about Munir and her history as a poet and as Iran's first female lyricist. And then we'll read the poem, both in Persian and its English translation, and talk about the poem in general. It's a particularly relevant poem at this moment in time. I really enjoyed hearing about Munir's history, especially as it relates to the role of women in general in Iranian society in the past and how it relates to today. There's also a very popular song that uses this poem as its lyrics, and we'll link to that in the show notes. This is the first lesson on this poem. In subsequent lessons, I'll go over individual words and phrases of the poem so we can learn them and add them to our Persian language vocabulary. That way, you can use them in your own conversational Persian. But more on that later. For now, let's get to my conversation with Naz. Naz Deravian, thank you for doing this poetry episode with me. I'm super excited. Thank you so much for having me, Leila June. I'm happy to be here. We're going to be talking about your mom, and it's the day after Valentine's Day, so I'm sure that <laughs> I think it's a good time to to talk about our mothers, uh, the first love that we had, right? Exactly. Yeah. Sadly, I couldn't be with my mom yesterday, but we talked on the phone. Good. Nice. And we're going to be talking about one poem specifically that was really touching to me the first time that I heard it um, on Taste the Nation when you uh, recited it. And I actually reached out to you back then uh, asking if we could talk about this poem for the podcast series because... First, it's a very relevant poem. It's arguably become more relevant now um, in the, since that was in 2020, right? That that show came Taste, out. When we shot Taste the Nation. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it was pre-pandemic. So no, I think we shot it in 2019 and then it aired in 2020. That's right. Exactly, which was a very, like the whole pandemic shutdown happened right before Noru's. This poem is about Bahar. Uh, so it was very applicable at that time as well. And, um, and you know, with the news that's coming out of Iran right now, we're recording this in 2023 after Mass Amini's death that's even more relevant, it seems. So I'm super excited to talk about this, but let's back up. And so tell me all about your mother. <laughs> uh, my mom is the first female lyricist of Iran, which I think is also, again, very relevant these days that we're talking about the role of women in Iran and in our culture. Her name is Monir Taha. She's a poet. uh, And um, in her youth, she was very, very young when she started. But she wrote some of the lyrics for the really big songs of that time. We're talking about the 50s, the 1950s in Iran. So she wrote... um, the lyrics for uh, songs of Banan, for those who are familiar with classic Iranian um, masters. 
she wrote for Marzier. Um, she collaborated with her violin teacher, who was Ostad Tajvidi, Elia Tajvidi, who was a master violinist, and he would put the music to her lyrics. So he, Aurel Tajvidi, would um, come to my mom's house when she was about, I think, 12 or so to teach her violin, to instruct her violin. And um, maybe around the time that she was 14, he was also younger at the time, maybe in his 20s. And he played her one, a song for her. And as the story goes, if I'm getting it correctly, and forgive me, Malanjan, if I'm not. <laughs> um, she then put some lyrics to his song. And that's where this collaboration started. At the age so, of 12. 14, 14, 14. Wow. the time that she's, yeah, at the age of 14, she was very, she, she kind of rose to fame very, very young. And then, um, and then she left Iran to go study in Italy. And, and, you know, then things changed. What year was she born? She was born in 1935. Okay. So yeah. then, so what was her background? What did her family do? What did her parents do? Yeah, she has a very interesting life story. It's not, it's typical in many ways and then not. So she wasn't um, raised by her parents. She was close to her parents, but she wasn't raised by her parents. She was um, raised by her amen, her aunt and uncle. Um, and they were, they were very supportive of her in pursuing this life of literature and poetry. Um, and, you know, they supported her education. So she, she didn't come from a particularly conservative family, mm -hmm. as many did at, at that time. And, um, and I think that's passed down um, to me and her support of me and my brother's ambitions as well. Um, she came from a very open-minded family that, once again, supported a young woman writing poetry and lyrics and going on the radio. Um, Aray took her, one story goes, that Aray took her to the radio at the time, you know. And uh, she actually sang as a very, very young woman, teenager, and she was so nervous, but... Uh, you know, she recorded one of the first songs there. Um, wow. And so in that respect, she was supported by a family who did not put any limitations in front of her. Wow. As a woman in Iran at that time. Right. When she began to write these songs, write these lyrics, did that become her full profession from the beginning? She was a student, so okay. um, she was uh, she was getting her degree in Persian literature at the University of Tehran simultaneously, and then um, you know she she became famous. Um, she would hear her song. She has stories of she would go to the bazaar and people would be like humming her song, and she would like kind of want them to know right. that it was her, you know, as she's walking along. Right. And it was her song, um, but then she left. She decided to leave Iran to go to Rome to get her PhD in Italian literature. Wow. And that kind of put a pause in, um, in her continuing okay. in that field. And what year um, was that that she left? 
I can't get this. I, I'm going to say 1960, perhaps, or 61. So in the 50s, like that, she was active in the in the scene, writing music, 50, yeah. and then mm-hmm. left. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then she went back. So she was in Italy for about, I'm going to say, 10 years or so. And uh, wow. you know, she met my father there, and they had my brother there. But my parents, you know, and then they separated years and years later. But they knew that they would eventually go back to Iran. They wanted to contribute to their country. And so they finished their studies and then they went back to Iran. And my mom taught at the University of Tehran. She taught um, in the foreign languages department. She was the professor of Italian literature until the revolution. What was the um, significance of Italy? Because I hear a lot of people going to France. I hear a lot of people going to London. I haven't really heard Italy as much. Is there a thriving Iranian scene in Italy? I think at the time, a lot of Iranian students were really looking at, like you said, going to France or going to um, London. But my mom talks of she act, she was accepted in Brazil. So this story could have come <laughs> on a completely different wow. way. Okay. And she was accepted at the University of Michigan. So, you know... It really, and I think also in India, there was an opportunity for her to go to India. So it was just, she just chose Rome. And my father was there studying architecture. So it's just how it went. Right. Um, So yes, so Italy became our second home. And my brother was born there. So we would then, you know, visit Italy every summer and visit friends. And we had a base there. Right. And we picked up on this story when I interviewed you for uh, the Raising Nimdrunes series. And you talked about uh, what happened after uh, the revolution with you and your brother and your family. Uh, so let's let's uh, continue your mom's story through when this poem was written, which was during the Iran-Iraq War. So what was her situation right pre-revolution and then what happened right afterwards? So then the revolution happened in 79. At the time she was she was teaching at the university, she was still writing lyrics. She was still writing Absolutely. poetry. Okay. She was writing poetry at that poetry. time. Poetry. Um, okay. Yeah. She had several books published um, and she was at the university and then the revolution happened. And again, as I'm sure many of your followers know, we all know what yes. happened. I don't need to go into detail about that. Right. Um, we left Iran in the summer of 1980. Mm. So we were there for the revolution and for a short period of time afterwards, right before the war, the Iran-Iraq war, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was September of 1980. So, uh, we went to Italy as we did every summer, but at the time, My parents had given up their Italian residency when they moved back to Iran. Wow. Uh So we couldn't, we couldn't stay in Italy. Not, you know, not permanently, which would have been what we would have liked to do. And when we left, we didn't leave with the intention of never going back to Iran. When we got there, the situation got really bad. And then we knew that there were the murmurs of war, of the war starting. My brother was 14 or 15 at the time. And we knew that he would have been drafted, right? right? He would have been one of the first ones. So then began the search for a home, like so many of our stories. And there was a community of Iranians in Rome, and we all bonded together. And sadly, at the time, you know, not many places were taking in Iranians. 
America had its doors shut to us. There was not even a chance of us getting in. So we started, you know, filling out the paperwork, and it was between Canada and Australia. And we got accepted into both countries. And again, it's kind of like, that's how it went. We just, we, there was one family who went to Canada ahead of us and one family who went to Australia. Wow. So, and they went to Perth, Australia. So my goodness, we have got, I love Australia and Perth, but at the time in 1982, it was, we didn't know where any of these places really were. Also, could this poem have been written about the springtime? I always wonder about these Iranians in the in Australia. Right, Their whole seasons exactly. get mixed up. Anyway, exactly. Your it's seasons a, are flipped. Yeah, right? it's a big thing. I I always yeah. wonder about that. Yeah. So we we followed the family to Vancouver, Canada. Yep. Um, and we settled there and started a life there. And this poem was written in 1985. So it was well into the Iran-Iraq war. Right. Um, and this was, 1985 would have been three years after us landing in Vancouver. So, you know, we had settled a little bit. It was okay. in the early, early days, but there was still this sense of, and there still is. I don't think this changes, but there was a sense of qurbat. Yeah, right. And what's what's the word for qurbat? So qurbat is like um, being in a foreign land or um, but it's like, being a stranger or an exile. An exile. Right? There you go. Yes, in exile. Yeah. Um. So this this poem was written in in the spring. So probably right after the days of Nowruz or leading up to Nowruz, uh, as we had discussed earlier, it's not an uplifting, <laughs> you know, spring poem, but it speaks to probably the feeling that many Iranians had, but particularly that my mother had during that time, living in exile mm-hmm. and watching and hearing from afar what was happening in her beloved homeland. Right. And I think that's why um, it resonates this day as well for so many of us who are so far away, and yet every day we are glued to the news out of Iran. And And a feeling of perhaps at times helplessness that we're so far away and wanting to be there. I feel like... Nowruz is a really interesting thing because, like you said, a lot of the families were in were in Ghorbat at this time. We moved to the United States in 86, and I was three at the time. But I remember those first Nowruzes because it's not an arbitrary uh, celebration. Like the, you know, things are changing, the flowers are coming, the, you can't stop it from happening, you know? But right. I do remember very much that feeling of sorrow that was present in those years. And I was, an, I was the only child around, a family of all adults, and they wanted to make Noru's apparent to me. So they did that by, like, getting me a gift. And all we did that I remember the first couple of years is I would get a gift on Noru's because everyone was so sad. They just lost family members because of the revolution. They were in somewhere that they didn't know a lot of Iranians. They were alone. 
that, you know, you can't deny that spring is happening. So it's such a juxtaposition, isn't it? I remember those early years of Nowruz, but I still, I think, at least for us, we I still have it to this day where although we are celebrating and it is such a beautiful celebration and it's mm-hmm. such an organic celebration exactly. for New Year because we are celebrating the rebirth of nature. Exactly. And what could be more celebratory than that, right? And yet I remember those early days, but even to this day, right around when we gather around the Sofre half scene and right before the when we welcome the new year, tears fill up in everyone's eyes. Right. Those early years, it was obviously because we had been ripped away from our loved ones and homeland and everything that we knew. But I think those feelings carry on. And even though, you know, then in later years, you've settled wherever it is you are, you still feel that pull. Right. Back to your home. Uh, This is a topic that I've, you know, delved into in my book and with the cooking and all of that of what defines home. And I think so many immigrants do. And there's been so much lovely literature on this. But um, there's really your your true home is in here. And I think for many of us, that will always be Iran. Right. And. For me, and maybe for you, we were children, so I can only imagine for people like our parents yeah. what that would have felt like. Well, in coming to, to this point in time, I think that a lot of people are feeling it even that have not been to Iran. I mean, I, I think that that's always been the case, but I think especially with the events that have happened, I've never gotten so many you know messages from people, from Iranians, half Iranians, everyone who have said that you know, they never really pursued what it meant to be Iranian, but all of a sudden this feeling has like swelled up inside them and they really feel it. I that's think a that, wonderful thing. That's a I great think so thing. Too. And and to the juxtaposition that you were talking about, Noruz, so this doesn't mean that we're sad at Noruz. I don't want to give that impression. Right. Um, it is a celebration, but um, I think especially, for instance, this year, uh, what are we going to do about Noruz? Yeah. I'm trying to think for myself. We, I'm setting up the Sofre Hafsin because I think um, there is these, these ancient, ancient traditions have persisted for thousands of years. They have outlasted many, many different um, regimes and, you know, dark days and pillaging and war. And yet they have continued and they have persisted and they have resisted and it is a form of resistance as well Mm -hmm. so us continuing these traditions can be a form of resistance as well absolutely and especially with the islamic republic they have tried to downplay the importance of noruz and all these celebrations and traditions as well and that has you know the iranian people have completely resisted that and i think that noruz has become more and more uh important for the diaspora community every year since the revolution. To well, the look, one of their main um, efforts has been to suck all the joy out of life. <laughs> right, right. And so I, joy and is of, a resistance. Right. So be it playing music, 
women composing or women like my mother being lyricists and speaking of love and writing about all these, you know, whatever, politics, whatever it is. So they have tried to put an end to that, to kill it, um, to take it away. Right. They're not successful. They right. have not been successful. And they, and they won't be. Like we said, it's this, these traditions have, are now thousands of years old, and they will continue. They will continue. Absolutely. So three years ago, when Padma Lakshmi came to you to create this show, uh, you had a different poem picked out to read of your mother. So can you uh, can you tell us the story about that? What happened? And how did this poem come up? Yes. So um, they had asked me to, you know, read a poem or something. And I thought, well, you know, it's a show about food and we'll keep it light. And uh, this is a funny story. But so my mom wrote a song about me when I was a teenager and this, and it, um, Sattar sang it, the, right. you know, famous Iranian singer from the 80s sang it. And it kind of became a, like an Iranian club song or whatever. <laughs> so we would right. hear it when we'd go into these events that would just be like, oh my God. Wow, that's and funny. And the, the name of the song is Nazgolak. My name is Nazgol. So the name of the song is Nazgolak. And she wrote it when maybe I was around 14 or 15 and behaving, going through my teen years. Mm -hmm. And um, and credit to her, she was enjoying taking joy, actually, of sitting back and watching me go through these ups and downs <laughs> and navigating the teenage years. And much to her credit, again, giving me the space to do that without coming down on me hard. Um, you know, like falling in love and having crushes and getting my ears pierced or whatever it was that I was doing. Right. <laughs> um, getting into a little bit of trouble uh, or a lot of trouble at times. <laughs> um, so she wrote a song about it and it's just, it's a dance song and it's really lovely. So I thought, cute, I'll read this. You know, this will be really fun. Um, and then at the very last minute, you know, the show and our conversation turned more serious. And especially at the time with everything that was going on with the travel ban and all that stuff. So I think the producers felt like, no, we want something a little more serious here. Wow, yeah. And so at the very last minute, they said, can you read another poem? And so it was literally what you see on camera was at the very last moment. I, this is... I. I've always loved this poem. Also, it was turned into a song, um, and uh, it was sang by um, Shahla Sarshar, who was right. a famous Iranian singer. Um, especially Which we'll link to uh, so that everyone can hear it. Yeah, this, and composed by Farid Farjad, another very famous Iranian composer and violinist. So, And I've always, uh, even as a child, because when she... Um, wrote this I was a kid mm -hmm. I was a teenager um the song this poem and then the song just held a really special place in my heart so right away I just thought well I'll read this so that's what happened and what you see on Padma's show is me reading it and translating right on the spot right right <laughs> um, because there was no time to really think about it which 
maybe it's for the best. Right, right. And then what was it that brought this up for you right now at this moment that you wanted to talk about it again? Um, so the reception to that episode was really lovely. And a lot of people reached out to me like yourself about me reading that particular poem and people wanted to know, and even, you know, our non-Iranian friends wanted to know if they could find a translation of it somewhere. And, you know, they had a lot of questions about it and I forgot about it. You know, that was what, like you said, two, two to three years ago. Right. Um, and then just in the, with the events of the past five months and us coming up on Nowruz and spring, it made me think of the song again, but in particular, the notion of living in exile and being a witness to what is happening and feeling the need to do something and not knowing what to do. Um, I think that really resonated with so many of us. Right, right. Um, in these past five months, watching the footage coming out of Iran and trying to raise awareness about Iran and um, keep raising our voices about what's happening and not letting it die. But so that's what, you know, that's what made me think to go back to this. Wonderful. Well, I think that's a good introduction. If there's anything else that you want to add, and if not, I think let's just dive into the poem. So Naz will read the Persian, and uh, and I'll read the the rough translation. You know, it's hard to translate poetry because there's a rhyme, there's a rhythm, which is why it's really nice to learn poems in their original language, which is what we'll be doing with this one. But we have a rough translation <laughs> that we kind of went back and forth on a little. So I'll be reading that. Yes. So again, we're not... Um, professional translators right. here. So. <laughs> right. So the title of um, this poem is Migan Kejange Jange, which is they say it's war, war. Bahar, bahar, bahare. Delam chebi garare. Hamin halas ke chishmam ye asemun bebare. It's spring, spring, spring. My heart is so unsettled. Any moment now my eyes will rain down a sky full of tears. Dilam barat chetange, ramet chirang varange, baharatu azize, khazunetam kashange. My heart yearns for you. Your sorrow has so many colors. Your spring is so precious. Your fall is also beautiful. Yeruz divune budam, poraz bahune budam, bahare arzura, golo javune budam. There was a time I was young and wild. I was full of excuses. My springtime of dreams was full of flowers and buds. میگن تو کوچه باغات سیاپوشن کلاغات نمیخونن نمیگن کبوترا و زاغات They say that in your alleys and gardens your crows are wearing black They don't sing, they don't speak Your pigeons and your ravens میگن که جنگ جنگه 
خمپاره و تفنگه به هر کجا عزیزی سرش به روی سنگ They say it's war, it's war, it's bombs and guns. Everywhere our dear ones rest their head on a rock. Bahar, 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 dilam chibi It's spring, spring, spring. My heart is so unsettled. So I think it resonates. <sighs> yeah. I can't believe that, yeah, I can't believe that after all these years, it's still, it could have been written this year. Yeah, and she's written a lot <laughs> this these past five months. Yeah. There was a lot that came out. But, oh, wow. Um, Has she published uh, any of it? No, I just kept um, I just kept sharing them on Instagram whenever I could. Um, but yeah, it, this could be this could be sadly repeated, or it could be just written, wow. you know, yesterday or back in September, late September. Right. It's funny as I was preparing for this when I was reading it, I was still thinking about the Iran Iraq War, but. Without that context at all, it it does sound like it was just written for exactly what's been going on in Iran right now. Yeah, and I think what I appreciate about this one is that it's also, um, especially for your program, it's you know I think it's uh, it's easily understood, right? That you can translate it easily, and the sentiment behind it is you can understand it in any language, really. Right, right. And you were worried about this poem being not a very like hopeful poem. What do you think about it? Is it that you want to share? Like what what is the message that you want people to get out of it? Yeah, I think it's a hamdeli. It's a heart to heart with our fellow Iranians who might be walking around these past five months, these past 44 years, these past 100 years, who but especially in particular these past five months that so many of us perhaps have been walking around with this bolts, this lump in our throat, lump in our throat. Thank you. <laughs> and, it, you know, when she says, um, right. at any moment now, oh, my eyes yeah. are going to are filled with a sky full of tears. Right? Exactly. Think, it's just late. I can only, Yes, it's there. And I think I can only speak for myself that, uh, and but perhaps other people can relate, that we've all been walking around. But I know for myself that it's been important to channel that. And it's not about me or my pain or my history. or It's, it's about those who are in Iran. Absolutely. It's about them. And my, whatever it is that I'm feeling, Yes, it's important too, but it's inconsequential compared to what they are going through right. and feeling. However, this is a way of um, to reach out and say, our 
bulbs or the lumps in our throats are connected. Right. And it's okay to take a moment if you need to and cry a sky full of tears. I love that. And I also love that, you know, it starts out by saying, Migan Kijange Jange. I feel like, you know, now is a particularly different kind of time, but even in the pandemic, it's like kind of what we were talking about. You can't stop nature. You can't stop the world from celebrating in a way, right. no matter what's going on. So there's, you know, Jange Jange, Migan Kijange Jange. Like I'm hearing about this. This is this is happening. Or Miganke Kuronast or Miganke Hola Engelobe. There's there's all these things happening, but nature is going to happen. So in a way And Migan Migan could get Jange Jange, but it's still Bahor Bahor Bahor. Bahor Exactly. There is a war and spring is happening at the same time. Spring is happening. So you can't you you can't stop it. Um, and, and it's okay. It's okay to, uh, to recognize that as well, that both, both of these things can happen simultaneously. This is Layla with a quick message for you. Please note that this podcast episode is only one part of the lesson. We also have a complete PDF guide for this lesson where you can see the entire poem written out in Persian script and an English phonetic script so you can follow along. In addition, you can join our community of learners that are discussing this poem in our Chai and Conversation community and even memorizing the poem. Memorizing poetry is our favorite way at Chai and Conversation of learning the Persian language. You can get more information on getting a free 30-day trial to sign up for our poetry program on our website at chaiandconversation.com slash poetry. Now, back to the episode. And so, so you said it's not very hopeful, but in a way, it, it is hopeful, and it's okay well, for things not to be not yeah, to be like. Yeah, I don't explicit. know that. I don't know that it's not hopeful. I wanted to be clear that you know, if this is like a part of a Noru's program, we're not. <laughs> I'm not saying like a it's spring and everything's so right. lovely and wonderful. Right. I didn't want it to be um, a downer. Right. <laughs> I was worried that it might be yes. not appropriate that way. But, um, and I think I can speak for my mom here because this is something she's always, always um, repeated and believes truly in her heart is that no matter what, there is always hope. That is not negotiable. I love that. I feel like it's important for us to talk about these things, to acknowledge what's going on, to, uh, to like you said, do some ham and to be there for each other and and this poem does a really beautiful job of doing that so it is i think um like we said earlier i think so many of us were ripped away from you know friends and loved ones and then we built our own communities and perhaps for some you know that community meant non-iranians like we're not surrounded with a lot of iranians right Uh, i can speak for myself that's true for myself and in the past five months we've you know, it says, she says, um, this is, she's talking to Iran, right? I miss, I miss you. Right. I miss you so much. She's not talking about the sorrow of Iran, but 
the sorrow that she feels for Iran is of all colors. It's all sorts of sorrow. It, there's like the sorrow of missing you, the sorrow of not being there, the sorrow of what the country's going through. Right. It's all sorts of sorrow, right? Um, I lost and even, my point. Well, even, <laughs> the part where, <laughs> even the part where she says, So Khazun is generally, that, that means the fall. So she's saying your spring is so precious. But your fall is also beautiful. So even your sorrow is, like you're saying, it's complex. Yes. It's complex. And, and so on point for because, you know, we went, we just went through this very, very sorrowful fall. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This, this fall in Iran. But even through all this, I, I long for you. I yearn for you. Right. Um, you know, she says that too. Uh and then when she's talking about Yeruz Divun, uh, when I was wild right. and young, so she's talking about her own springtime. Right. It goes back to her youth and her own springtime and her idealism and her hopes and dreams for her country at that time. Mm-hmm. Where, right. You know, there was the idealism of youth, which we need, which we see again in these past five months in the youth of Iran. It is their hopes and their dreams that have pushed this revolution, that have given it birth, that has blossomed. Right. And then, Bahar, 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 Delam Chibi Rarare. I love that it ends yeah, on my, that. Yeah, my heart is unsettled or my heart is out of sorts. And it's, you know, and I think that again speaks to all of us. Our hearts are all over the place. We're planning for Noruz, depending on what it is we want to do, and yet. We are still, you know, trying to raise awareness about Iran and right. trying to, with everything, not just Iran, you know, with the earthquakes right. in Turkey and Syria. And um, all of this is happening at the same time. Right. <laughs> well, one thing that's different now from what is, what, you know, was going on back then, and I think, like, going back to that point where Migan Kejange Jange, they say it's war, it's war. We have a lot more connectivity with what's happening. Yes. It's a huge difference. And I think we should talk about that as well. Yes. So this was written in 1985. We didn't have social media. We didn't have cellular phones where you, we didn't have, you know, all these different forms of getting in touch with each other. So you would hear about something that's happening a week later. Exactly. Two weeks later. And our conversations with our loved ones on the phone were very quick. They right. weren't these long. You couldn't sit and share everything. First of all, you were worried someone was listening in. Right. Second of all, those phone conversations, at least for my family, were very, very expensive. Right. You couldn't stay on the phone for very long. Third of all, the you know the connection. Everyone was yelling, "Hello, hello!" <laughs> yeah. You know, right. it was like all over the place. Um, so migan kejanga jang. They say it's war. Right. Um, that I'm getting like we're getting bits and pieces of what's happening. We don't really know what's happening, but in you know we'll we'll get a letter. But the letter was written a month ago. Exactly. So we don't even know what's happening today. Right. It's very different than our situation now, where almost in real time we are privy to what is happening, which is good, which is such a great thing. Yes. So I think that's a great spot to end it um, is to just say, you know, yeah, in, in the 80s, right, I guess right before this happened, these mass executions happen. 
But now, you know, we know the names of these people that are imprisoned. We can talk about it. We can spread this information. So we are, we have a lot more, um, like, we're a lot more empowered or there's a lot more we can do now. So it's not as passive as as we were at that time. Yes. And now we can also share share what happened then as well as so many of us have been slowly these... um, these closed doors and conversations that were never really talked about and maybe kept down and in are slowly opening up. And we're all, you know, there's so many stories coming out now. And I think it's so important for our community to open up and share and be gentle with each other and with each other's stories and um, listen without judgment, without jumping on each other. I can't say this enough. We need to be gentle with one another. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing this poem. Thank you for sharing about your mom and about your mother and about uh, the circumstances that led to her writing this poem and her body of work in general. I'm and, you know, what you do, you're, you are a cookbook author, but I see your mom and everything that you do. You really mm-hmm. honor her very well. So I definitely you, feel Nate. that in yeah. your work. Um, and so we'll be going through this poem. Um, like Nas said, it has very um, simple words, but it's, it's such a good poem to all learn together, to, to memorize these words together. And also there's a beautiful song that comes with it, which makes it even easier to learn because we can listen to that song until we've we've learned these words and these are all words that we use in current conversation which is you know i love teaching uh the language through poetry because you know these words get embedded in you and you can use them uh in conversation which is so so wonderful so uh, i'll be going through subsequent lessons where we go through each of these word by word phrase by phrase and how you can use them in current conversation so is there anything else that we didn't cover that you would like to say either about your mother or about the poem? I think we covered it. Thanks to you, Leilo Jun, for everything that you do and you continue doing. And I wish everyone a happy Nowruz, a happy spring. And please continue raising your voices about what's happening in Iran. You know, it, back to the, this being an age of social media and whatnot, Sometimes our attention span tends to, you know, we quickly want to move on. We right. Cannot. We cannot with this. So keep going. Um, revolutions do not happen overnight. It takes time. It takes persistence. It takes resistance. And most of all, it takes our voices. Absolutely. Are you uh, going to be doing your Sabzi for Notice this year? I, yes. Okay, Sabzi still grows. Sabzi, Sabzi. Sabzi, sorry. I, I did that last time too, Sabzi. Sabzi. So I will be, every year we grow the, um, you know, I use lentils and we grow the sprouts, okay. which is a symbol of new life and hope and all of that. And I did have to think about whether I wanted to do it this year. I wasn't sure if my heart was in it. Right. You know, if I just had that, that I want. But yes, we're okay. going to grow sabze. Wonderful. We're going to grow sabze. So at, because of everything that it represents and symbolizes. Yes. And I will be doing it along with you. So at bottom of the pot is where we find Nas and yes. she will have sabze 
and I will finally <laughs> sabzi <laughs> is herbs. Sabze is the wheatgrass sprouts. Sprouts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it wonderful. Is. So thank you yeah, so, so much. Join us. Yeah, join definitely. Us and we'll grow it together. And if it grows, it grows great. If it doesn't, that's fine too. Right. And we'll learn this poem together and and you know we'll feel our complicated feelings all together. And it's a lot better when we do it together. Ham deli. Being of the same heart, ham dardi, being of the same pain. We have that. As Iranians. <laughs> yes. And ham khoshali. Ham that's khoshali. I don't know. I made it up. <laughs> I don't think so, but ham khoshali. I'm going to hear from my mom on that one. I made up a word. It's not a word. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thanks again. And until we talk again. Thank you. Thanks, Leiloju. Thank you so much for listening. As I said, this is the first in many episodes on this particular poem. In subsequent lessons, we'll be going over the poem line by line, word by word, and really understanding the language of the poem. That way, you can use the words and phrases learned in this poem in conversation. It's really the best way to learn. To see subsequent lessons and find out how you can sign up for our program, go to chaiandconversation.com slash poetry. This week's episode was edited by Chadwick Wood. Theme music was written and composed by Babak Rajabi. And until next time, I am your host, Leila Shams. <laughs>